Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Rogue Bludger. Today we will be discussing Hermione's commitment to the cause, Dobby's return, and what Dumbledore knows but doesn't share. So before we get started today, I wanted to ask you, if you wanted to create a secret chamber, what would you put in it? Hmm, Like a secret chamber in my house? Sure. Okay, so what I think I would do is I would create a secret chamber that was basically like a spa. So I could have someone that would just, you know, appear there that would give me massages and facials and stuff (laughs) and like have a huge, like a really nice bubble bath, like Mm. secret lair. And then um, also I would have like some, all these good books that I want to read and comfy couches and TVs and good snacks and stuff. And I would just like have a little oasis and it would be like in the Magic Treehouse books when no time has passed when you come back. What about you? What would you do? Um, I think I would probably, well, first of all, I would want the secret chamber to be behind a bookshelf. Oh, yeah. So you like pull the, the certain book out mm-hmm. and then it opens up. Of course, of course. Wall switch. As you uh, should. Of course. And I think behind it, I would want to have, and behind it, I would have like a secret laboratory where I could do secret mad science experiments. I wouldn't actually use it, but it would be fun having one in my house and then like people could discover it, you know? And, and be terrified. And be terrified, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be such a great like thing to have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. So this chapter starts off with Hermione convincing Lockhart to sign a note, giving them permission to check a book, specifically the book Most Potent Potions, out of the restricted section of the library, which he does. So this is in order to get the recipe for Polyjuice Potion. And once they actually read the recipe, Harry and Ron start freaking out because they think they're going to have to drink crab's toenails or steal ingredients from Snape in order to make the potion. And Hermione gets really defensive and argues that what they're doing is fully justified because threatening Muggleborns is far worse. And then they find out that the potion will take a month to brew. Later on, Harry has a Quidditch match against Slytherin, There's a lot of pressure on him because of the Slytherin's new brooms, and Malfoy is the opposing seeker. During the game, a bludger relentlessly chases Harry and nobody else, and the Weasley twins spend half the game guarding him to prevent him being killed. Harry, not wanting to forfeit, convinces his captain, Wood, to let him deal with the bludger, and he manages to catch the snitch right under Malfoy's nose, but breaks his arm doing it. After the match, Lockhart then insists on repairing Harry's arm, even though Harry really asked to go to the hospital wing. Lockhart instead um, removes the bones in Harry's arms accidentally when he's trying to fix his arm. Harry then goes to the hospital wing anyway, and Madame Pomfrey is furious. He is forced to drink Skelligro to regrow his arm bones, a very painful process. He then goes to sleep and wakes up to find Dobby there. Dobby reveals that he had tried desperately to prevent Harry from being there, first by being the one to block the train platform from letting them through, and now by fixing the bludger to go after him. He hoped that Harry would be injured just enough to be sent home, but he wasn't trying to kill him. He still refuses to say why he wants Harry away from school, and Harry's confused since he's not a muggle-born and theoretically in no danger from the chamber being opened. 
Dobby leaves as McGonagall and Dumbledore walk in carrying a body. Harry realizes it's Colin Creevy holding a camera up to his face. He's petrified as well, and they observe that the camera's film is all burned. Dumbledore says that this means that the Chamber of Secrets has indeed been opened again. So we see a lot of changes in Hermione over the course of this chapter and the previous chapter. Um, she basically becomes the chief of their efforts to uncover who is the heir of Slytherin, and specifically is the driving force behind them breaking the rules, and um, and she's the one sort of pushing them into acting. So why do you think that is, and what's changed for her? Well, we talked a lot, even in our last book, about how Hermione is all for following the rules until she believes that the rules are wrong and are preventing them from doing something that is going to protect other people or something that she feels is really right. And at this point, she's going full steam ahead on that sort of track because she is a muggle-born and I think she feels scared and targeted and she wants to figure out exactly what's going on with the Chamber of Secrets and the Heir of Slytherin to figure out if it's real, what the threat is, and really how to stop it because she feels like maybe in some ways that her life depends on it or that her um, her position at Hogwarts depends on it. I think she feels threatened because she cares so much about learning and being in the magical world and now there's this threat of, you know, someone or something does not want you in this school and she wants to do everything she can to stay. I think that's absolutely right. And I think even going one step further than than only breaking the rules when she feels like the rules are wrong or when the scenario demands it, she, like no one is alleging that the rules are wrong in this case. The right, rules are right. just like don't steal from professors. You know, you can't check this book out of the library because it's like really dangerous dark magic. Um, no one is saying that these rules are bad. It's, right. it's just that she is now willing to break even these good rules. Right. Because she feels like she, her position is threatened, as you were just saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big character change because remember that um, in the in the beginning of the first book, she was so um, rule ad- adherent that she was unwilling to even bend the rules slightly to accommodate for good behavior. Right. So this is a huge character change. And it also shows that her cleverness and, you know, book smarts and thinking things through gets her to these really creative solutions that involve extensive rule breaking, stealing, tricking people, all this stuff, making potions. And so she's able to come up with these elaborate plans that eventually do get them information. And this is kind of the first time in the series that she does this. And she does this continually throughout the series where she's really the driving force behind a lot of plans um, to either get them information or to move the story along, basically. Yeah, and, and her Gryffindor traits are shining through here as well, you know, whereas even Harry and Ron are sort of like, well, there's a lot of risk in this plan and a lot could go wrong and we're, we're taking on a lot of risk to do it. Um, maybe this isn't the best plan. Hermione is like, no, this is the plan that we have. We have to do it. Like full, bold, brash, like carelessness almost. And but I, she's yeah. like full steam ahead on that. I think that one of the other interesting things about Hermione is that She's not just clever, like book smart and, you know, able to kind of figure things out. But she, I think, has a lot more insight than Harry and Ron in terms of the broader picture of things and how things are going to affect one another and what is going to sort of come about in the future. I, I think that she often has these sort of 
long-term this sort of long-term vision that they don't often have where she can see that this is the actual point and we need to be focused on this going forward whereas they can sometimes get caught up in like what's happening in the moment and what their personal you know revenges or things are absolutely so while most of the Quidditch match is actually just Harry dodging the bludger and kind of descriptions of that experience, mm-hmm. um, we do learn some things about a few of the characters um, and get some confirmation about our suspicions about Lockhart. So first, what do we learn about Harry and Wood? Well, we learn that Harry is, again, like very bold and uh, sort of careless in, in regard to his own personal safety. He really wants to win the match, and he knows that if Fred and George are tailing him for the whole match, keeping the bludger off of his back, he won't be able to win because he won't be able to catch the snitch. Um, And so he basically says, like, let me take on the risk of dealing with this rogue bludger because it's the only way that I'm going to be able to catch the snitch and end the game anyway. Um, And he just really doesn't want Malfoy to beat him. So it's it's this, like, uh, almost, yeah, like, careless um, disregard for his own safety in pursuit of this like uh glorious achievement of winning the Mm -hmm. match basically and Um, wood is kind of in the same way yeah and wood cares so much about winning too that he's willing to let his his seeker take on this risk and um it actually it reveals a lot about the character of the slytherin team too um and and therefore about slytherin house in general instead of being fair like most teams would be in the face of this rogue bludger which is obviously unfair um you know, you would think that the the teams would, would meet and they'd call a timeout and they'd say, Madam Hooch, we can't play. There's a rogue bludger. It's going after, like, this one player in particular. We need to call, mm-hmm. like, we need to call the game and we'll play again tomorrow or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, instead, they basically take full advantage of the situation and score a whole bunch of goals when there are no Gryffindor beaters on the pitch because they're tailing Harry. They just score a bunch of times. Um, and they clearly, like, they don't care about the the means to the end. They only care about the end, which is winning. Whereas Wood and Harry, you know, even though they behave similarly in the end, they do care about the means and they do have their reservations about it. It's just that Wood capitulates to Harry's wishes in this case. Um, And then Malfoy, we see him as a player. He's like taunting Harry. He's making fun of him for having the the bludger go after him. Um, He asks him if he's training for the ballet because he does like a pirouette to avoid being smashed in the face. Um, and he's he's so wrapped up in making fun of Harry that he forgets to pay attention to the match. Right. He doesn't realize that the snitch was right above his ear, which allows Harry to catch it and end the match. So clearly he's not a very good seeker either if his whole energy is spent the entire match on just making fun of Harry. Right. And we know this already that, you know, he his father like basically paid for him to be on the team because yeah. he paid for the broomsticks. So, you know, he's not like trained. He hasn't really practiced. He just is doing it to have status and then using this as an opportunity to taunt Harry. Mm-hmm. And then, as you mentioned, we also get more evidence, more confirmation that Lockhart is this no-talent hack windbag, so full of himself, but he doesn't have any ability. You know, he's uh, absolutely convinced that he can save Harry's arm, which is just broken. Madame Pomfrey could probably mm-hmm. fix it in about a second. But instead, Lockhart's like, nope, don't go to the hospital wing. I will take care of all of this. And then... Bang presto removes all of the bones in his arm. And now he has to regrow them. And it's a whole painful process that will take all night. Right. And it's just this, like, another piece of evidence on the pile. Ron is starting to get pretty incredulous with Hermione because she's still defending him even after all of these 
even after all these instances where he's being an idiot. Right. Yeah. So as we mentioned in the summary, we do learn from Dobby's return that the rogue bludger was him and also blocking the platform barrier, which was our mystery at the beginning of the book. Um, and the reason why Harry had to go in the flying car is um, also due to Dobby. So he somehow did this. And so we see that he's very resourceful and clever. He's not only able to do this type of magic, but he also has the ability to just really meddle in Harry's affairs without getting him suspicious, um, getting his master suspicious, Mm -hmm. anyone at Hogwarts. I mean, we don't really know the logistics of how he does it, but he's very smart and clever and also very bold in these um, tasks that he's doing. I would say that he's definitely clever, and we we see that cleverness come through in, in the ways that his plans are carried out, again, without anybody noticing. But I will say what he lacks is that vision that we were talking about with Hermione. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really think things through. No. He just has, like, an idea, and then he's like, I'm going to go with that idea. He clearly doesn't really understand Harry that well, for example, because anyone who knows Harry would understand that, okay... Keeping him out of the train isn't going to keep him away from Hogwarts. Right. Or, like, having the bludger smash into him isn't going to keep him out of Hogwarts, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and all this stuff. So he he's not thinking through his plans that well, but he does execute on his plans very well. So, you know, one wonders about Dobby's uh, foresight, but you can definitely see that he is clever. He is. And, you know, we it, he also just has a lot of things... That- that because he doesn't understand Harry that well, he has a lot of things backfire on him. So we learn, he admits that his fear for Harry's life is because of the chamber being opened. And so we now know that he somehow knew that the chamber was going to be open this year. Right. Um, and so that can kind of give us some things to ponder on why, how he knew that. Um, and he's very upset that he revealed that because he's not supposed to reveal anything. But he does reveal that, and then this backfires on Harry because he has this need to save other people. So Mm -hmm. even though Harry, you know, is confused because he doesn't feel like he's a risk um, for the monster or whatever because he's not Muggleborn, um, he still is like, well, I'm not going to leave my friends. You know, Hermione's Muggleborn. All all these other people are Muggleborn here. And he would never, you know, save himself um, because other people would be in danger. We know that about Harry's character. And Dobby finds this out now. So it kind of only... um, intensifies harry's desire to stay at hogwarts and figure out what's going on and see this through yeah a nice thing that dobby does describe in this in this section when they're talking is um why he admires harry so much which is really cool it's this long paragraph where dobby is describing like how terrible life was under voldemort and then when harry defeated him it was this like new golden age for for house elves where they weren't so horribly mistreated anymore. And then Dobby's like, well, I'm still horribly mistreated. But on the whole, (laughs) house elves are really well treated now. And it's all thanks to you. So like, that's why I love you so much, you know, and that's why I'm trying to protect you is because of this. Um, And I think it really gives Harry a lot of sympathy for Dobby's position, even though he should be really upset with him. Right. You know, he's also kind of like, yeah, like, I want to be mad at you, but it's like your situation is so pathetic. Right. And like, I know you're really just trying to help. So I think that like tempers his anger a little bit with Dobby, too. And it makes his his actions towards the end of the book make more sense when you see it in that light. So kind of going off of this idea of reinforcing Harry's 
uh, desire to save people and his kind of guilt about himself impacting other people. Um, in While he's in the hospital wing, um, he sees a body being brought in. Um, he finds out that it's Colin Creevy. He's been petrified. He's looking through his camera. McGonagall is there and she mentions that Colin was kind of hiding out on the stairs with some grapes and some stuff and she thinks that he was trying to sneak out at night to go visit Harry because we know that Colin is a huge fan of Harry. And so Harry hearing that feels even more guilty and even more like, oh my God, like I am now causing people to be petrified actually because they're trying to see me. Like what the heck? And this kind of thing always happens to Harry. Um, So that kind of is another reinforcement in this chapter of why he wants to sort of stay and save everyone. But um, let's think about why Colin was attacked. So at the end of last episode, I asked everyone to sort of ponder why Mrs. Norris was attacked. Mm -hmm. So she's not a muggle-born, obviously. She's a cat. So um, maybe you could say she has a connection to Filch, you know, and Filch is a squib, and maybe that's like a loose connection to Muggleborns, but then why not attack Filch? So it's this weird question of like, why, knowing what we know about the Chamber of Secrets and the Heir of Slytherin wanting to purge Muggleborns, why would Mrs. Norris be attacked? Now the question is, why is Colin Creevy being attacked? Well, he's a Muggleborn, so that's one answer to the question. Mm-hmm. But going further and knowing what, that we know that Ginny is really the person who's behind the attacks, controlled by Tom Riddle, we have to wonder... Is there something else going on? Is is the attack on Colin Creevy related to Ginny's feelings at the time? Is she feeling frustrated because Colin is bothering Harry so much? Is she maybe um, jealous because, mm-hmm. because Harry does give Colin so much of his attention, even though he's reluctant about it? Um, does Ginny want that attention? You know, is, is this lashing out or is this sort of more of a trying to protect harry from this this um annoyance right or is there something else entirely maybe it's circumstance i mean we could say possibly that mrs norris was just in the wrong place at the wrong time we could say the same for colin um but you know i think as we keep going through this book we're going to see more and more examples of the people being attacked have a connection to harry and more specifically to Ginny, and we have to wonder about why that is Right. And I think, you know, one one thought is what you were just saying about Ginny being kind of subconsciously or consciously attacking people because she's either jealous of them or they remind her of Harry or they've hurt Harry or something. Mm-hmm. But another thing is that maybe Tom Riddle through her, you know, he wants to bring Harry down to the chamber. He doesn't want Harry to be killed by the basculus. So we know that. Yep. But he does have, in, in the Horcrux, you know, does have this urge to kill Harry and get to Harry. And there may be this way in which he, through Ginny, is just by that fact that Harry is the target of it, is kind of trying to get as close to Harry as as he can or attack things close to Harry um, because it sort of has this urge to actually kill Harry. So it's like you're scratching around the mosquito bite, you know, and not getting to the actual mosquito bite because you really want to do that, but you know you can't yet. Yeah. I think that's a that's an interesting theory as well. I do think that it might be either or both, um, but we should definitely keep on the lookout for this so that we can try to find patterns in these attacks later on in the book. Right. And um, one of the last big things that we want to ponder in this chapter is that Dumbledore clearly understands more than he's letting on about the attack. 
He says, the question is not who, the question is how. And so we know that that means several things. First of all, it means that he understands that it was not Hagrid who opened the chamber last time. Mm-hmm. He might have his suspicions that it was Tom Riddle, alias Voldemort, who opened the chamber, um, but he's clearly kept this to himself. He also doesn't understand how Riddle is able to open the chamber again. Right. He might have his theory about that. Um, he does mention later on in the series that he had had theories for a long time that Voldemort may have made horcruxes. Um, or at least one Horcrux, and he doesn't get confirmation on that fact until Harry presents him with Tom Riddle's diary at the end of this book. So he might have that theory going on, but he doesn't have that confirmed yet. So he he is trying to figure out how, but at the same time, he's so withholding, even with his number two, McGonagall, um, he doesn't let anybody in on this information. Maybe that's for security reasons, but at the same time, you have to wonder... How much is he opening the school up to these further attacks by not divulging certain information to people? Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, he and Harry are sort of similar in that way, except that Harry doesn't really know know the information that he has. But, you know, in the last chapter, we discussed how Harry lies about hearing the monster's voice because, first of all, he doesn't know what he is. He's scared. He's going to get in trouble, all that stuff. Um but if he had revealed that, it's possible that, you know, things could have been stopped earlier. Mm-hmm. At the same, in the same vein, you know, if Dumbledore had maybe shared his information with other people or, um, you know, gotten more information, he could have um, stopped some things earlier. But this is a, a real theme with Dumbledore throughout the entire series. I mean, we think about this in terms of what he doesn't reveal to Harry um, and how he knows kind of almost everything about Harry's life, but doesn't reveal until much later. Um, And how that can be kind of problematic. So this thought about, you know, what does he actually know? We don't know if he knows about the Basilisk specifically. We don't know if he knows that that is the monster or that, you know, speaking parcel tongue is involved. Um, He definitely, I don't think, knows that Harry is a parcel tongue, even though he might suspect it. Does he just remember similar things happening 50 years ago? is this kind of theory, like, how confident is he in this theory? Maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't want to share it because he's, you know, worried that it is kind of crazy to think that yeah. Tom Riddle would be doing this. So we don't know, but this is another kind of thought and example about how Dumbledore's actions and especially what he withholds from various people do have consequences. And I don't know, can you think of other consequences uh, that this withholding of information has? Well, it certainly leads to Hagrid's arrest later on in this book. Right. You know, Dumbledore basically does nothing to uh, stop the ministry from arresting him. Yeah. Um, Aside from just saying, you're wrong, Mm -hmm. he's not guilty, but he doesn't give any evidence on Hagrid's behalf, um, and he doesn't share his thoughts with the ministry. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it has a lot of... A lot of uh, negative impacts on, on what happens in this book. I think definitely the continuance of the attacks at some point has to be laid at Dumbledore's feet because he's unwilling to share his theories with people. Um, Although we do also have to wonder, you know, he may not have really have any idea about how to, and I don't uh, stop how to stop them or how to do this. And, you know, we don't, I don't think he knows at all about Ginny until it's all over. Right. Correct. So he doesn't know how to access whatever the Horcrux is. He doesn't know, he really doesn't know how it's happening until it ends. So even it, it could be, I guess, argued that 
it would only just freak everyone out to share his theories with them, even if it was just with McGonagall or something, um, and not, you know, get lead to any actual helpful information. Right. But there is a scene, and I think this is a pivotal scene. We'll get to this eventually. I don't want to spoil everything in the book right now. There is a scene where Harry and Dumbledore have a conversation in Dumbledore's office in this book. And Harry does not share any information with Dumbledore, and Dumbledore does not share any information with Harry. If they had both chosen that moment to trust the other with what they know or what they suspect, that could have been like the end of the the mystery, basically right mm-hmm. there. You know, and I think we'll get to that later, but um it's something that I want the reader and the listeners to be thinking about mm-hmm. is you know, how much does Dumbledore's withholding of information affect the outcome of this book and other books too? Right. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Rogue Bludger. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially Hermione's character development, Dobby's return, or Dumbledore's secret keeping, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcast. Stay tuned for next time when we battle through Chapter 11, The Dueling Club. I'm Madeline. And I'm David. And we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.